I have 22 points from Psalm 119, and I, I've been praying about how to preach it in the normal time slot, and I think the Lord showed me how I'm going to do it. Uh, and it's, it, feels, it feels wrong, because I feel like I could teach through Psalm 119 for months. Uh, but we'll get to that next week. But I think I know how I'm going to try to get through that. Psalm 117, verse 1. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. For His merciful kindness. Look at those two words. For His merciful kindness. As if those two words weren't rich enough. He says, he qualifies them. He says, is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise you, the Lord. Father, we love you this morning. It's already been a blessing to be here. We've got a lot going on at our church, and I'm really, really thankful for that. I'm asking you to help us as a church to be like is said in the book of Revelation. I don't remember right now exactly what church it was, but you said you knew their works and the last to be more than the first. Lord, that's what I want. I want our works as we grow and as our church ages and matures and gets established while well, we are established. Lord, you've done that. But now as we grow and try to continue in you, we ask you to help us to be a church whose works are last are more than the first. But God, help those not to be works of our flesh by our might or by our power. Help us to have the works that are done through us by the Holy Ghost of God so that we can experience that yoke is easy and that burden that's light. And we can have joy in what we're doing for you. Lord, I pray as we now try to minister the word of God to the saints of God, I pray that you'd bless it, that you'd breathe on it, that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd give us, Lord, what it is we need from this two passages of scripture we're going to look at this morning. Please help me, I pray. Make me a minister of Jesus Christ and help your people. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Yes, sir. You look at that first psalm thing. Oh, wait. Okay. First psalm that we read, Psalm 117. We'll get to the next one next. Is this one good? Yeah, we're on. Okay. Notice he says, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. And I would be derelict in my duty if I did not point out to you the fact that that's not happening today. You think all nations are praising God? <laughs> you think this nation's actually a Christian nation? Nations are not praising God today. That's not happening, but there's a few of us that are. And we got a reason to praise Him. I'll say this, the day is coming soon. Kelly, am I good to put this out of my way? You got my on here? Okay. I'll say this, the day is coming real, real soon when all nations will praise the Lord. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to seeing Vladimir Putin bow his knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you're God. I'm looking forward to seeing Kim Jong-un or whoever happens to be in his position at the time bow his knee and say, Jesus Christ, you're Lord. I'm looking forward to seeing all those Arab nations that are run by anti-Christ Muslims bow in the knee and say, Jesus Christ, you're Lord. I'm looking forward to the day when we'll see the Pope bow his knee and say, Jesus Christ, you're Lord and I'm not. <laughs> you're God and I'm not. You're infallible and I'm not. You're the Christ and I'm not. You're the rock and I'm not. And that day is coming and I'm looking forward to that day. But in the meanwhile, here we are. I want to preach to you this morning on reasons to be thankful for mercy. If you look at this verse, he says, praise the Lord, what they're going to realize, all ye people, for what? For his merciful kindness is great toward us. There's a day coming when this world is going to realize what you and I already know about the Lord. Right now, they don't get it. Right now, the world thinks God is this big, mean, angry ogre in heaven who sent this book that's archaic and, and Neanderthal and 
harsh and all these rules and regulations and it's, 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 it's not empowering people. It's telling everybody that they're wrong and everybody's got to come under authority and it's erasing all of our equality and all the rest of these nasty things about the Bible. But the fact of the matter is, folks, God gave you this book because he created you and he loves you and he knows what's best for mankind. That means all of us globally and you individually. That's why God gave you that book. He doesn't set out rules because he hates his children. You know what these nations and this world is right now, and I hate to say this, even Christianity. You know what they are right now? They're like the little brat two-year-old whose parents say, listen, honey, when the ball rolls out in the road, do not chase the ball into the road. Do not step off the grass onto the curb. Do you understand me? Oh, you're trying to restrict me. Yes, you are right. I'm trying to restrict you. I need to be empowered and feel free and have liberty. No, you don't because you're going to get run over by the vehicle. Has ever drive through the, the vehicle, uh, the, part, uh, the, the neighborhoods, and you see the signs that says drive like your children are playing here? Yeah. Look, I get the concept, but why don't you teach your kids to play like we're driving here? Amen. <laughs> just a thought. I'm just saying. It's just a thought. All this like, there's no rules, just like let them go. You don't, don't, that, that's what it is when a little kid looks at mom and dad and says, you're restraining me because you tell them not to chase the ball out into the road. That's you saying, I love you and I've got boundaries for you because you want that child to get old and healthy and have a long, wonderful life. You're not putting rules on your kids because you hate them. You're putting rules on your kids because you love them. Amen. Folks, that's God in the Bible. That's what he's trying to do for us. And the world is saying, no, we got to break his bands asunder. we got to get his rules off us. we got to cast away his cords from us because he's trying to hold us back from enjoying the pleasures of life. No, he wants you to avoid the pleasures of sin because with them comes cords that wind up holding you. What I'm telling you this morning is you wound up bound up by something. You're either going to be bound up and controlled by God, the book, and the Holy Spirit, or you're going to be bound up and controlled by your sin. If you, don't, if you don't understand the end of sin and the dramatic effect of sin, you need to go with us downtown to see what it looks like. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God set these rules out for us because he loves us, because he's got merciful kindness towards us. And that's right there in verse number two, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. So it's literally a lie out of the pit of hell to say that the Bible's archaic and irrelevant because it doesn't apply to modern day. That was written by some Yahoo that's never read it. That was stated by some Yahoo who's never read the Bible. That Bible applies as much today as it ever did apply. And it'll apply tomorrow, and it'll apply a thousand years from now, and Lord willing, by then we're off in the millennial reign somewhere, but this book is still going to apply. And then when God wraps all that up at the end of that and burns this whole cotton-picking universe up and brings down a new heaven and a new earth, guess what's still going to be applying? The Word of God. The Bible is always relevant today, tomorrow, and it always will be. So don't give me that garbage. The Bible ain't relevant. It's very relevant. And look what it says about God. It says his merciful kindness is great toward us. Now, why would you hate that? Why wouldn't you be thankful for that? I'm telling you this morning, I'm thankful for an almighty God who loves me enough to be merciful and kind to me and yet tell me the truth at the same time. Folks, we ought to be a people of truth. I'll say it a thousand times. I'm going to say it again. You need to learn to love the truth above everything else. Notice in Psalm 118, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. So when we recognize his merciful kindness is great towards us, when we realize and get a hold of the truth, you know what it produces in our hearts? A thankfulness. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I am thankful this morning that his mercy endureth forever. You know why? That means mercy applies to me right now. Now, mercy is not a common subject. Have you ever noticed that? You go into modern day church and it's all about grace and love. 
and love and grace. Have you ever noticed how often you hear preaching on mercy? You hear praise and worship. You hear love and grace. Grace is, well, I don't deserve it, but he did it for me anyhow. You know why people don't like mercy? It's instinctive. It's not like they're necessarily even intentionally doing it. It exposes the heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? It reveals the motive. It shows, it, it manifests the psyche. Why, don't, why do we avoid mercy? You know why? Mercy says, you deserve it. You little rotten, no good for nothing, law-breaking, rebellious, angry, wicked little sinner, you deserve it. But guess what? I'm not giving you what you deserve. Now, yeah, that's, that's why people don't like mercy, because you're like, oh. Guess what? In order for me to recognize and accept mercy from God, I have to accept the fact that I need mercy. And that means I am guilty, I'm to blame, I'm wrong, I failed, I'm no good, and I deserve to be in the pit of hell with my back broke right now, and that is all I deserve. And I'm testifying this morning, as your pastor, that's what Mike Reagan deserves. You know why I deserve it? You know what? I'm thankful for mercy. Because look at this. Watch this as you look down at verse number 10 in Psalm 118. All nations compassed me about. But in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about. But in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees. They're quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. Now, wait a minute. That's a bizarre little passage. All nations compass me about. Well, historically, more than likely, David's the author, because the last time we see an author of the Psalms, it was David. So this is probably a Davidic psalm. Prophetically, you've got Israel here. All nations compass me about. Look at verse 12. I'll expound on it in a minute, but notice this. They compass me about like bees. And then look at verse 13. Thou hast thrust me sore. So we go from a plural to a singular. I'll come back to that in a minute. Before we get to that, look at verse 11. He says, they compass me about, who? All nations in verse 10. So doctrinally, you're looking at a Jew in the tribulation period. Not only do all nations of the world come against the Jew in the tribulation period doctrinally, but you also have demonically, some demonic activity happening against Israel, and then you got the leader of the demonic activity, the Antichrist, Lucifer himself, coming against Israel. Now, that's your doctrinal application, getting our doctrinal bearings for Psalm 110. That's not the church. But here's how beautiful the Bible is. The practical application to your life you have three enemies. Your first enemy is what? The world. Your second enemy, the flesh. Your third enemy, the devil. You know why you need mercy from God? Because you got the world against you, you got the flesh against you, you got the devil against you. You know what that means? You're compassed about and you are cotton picking overrun. You got to understand that? You think you got what it takes to stand up against any of that? Don't you realize that you were born into a sinful world? That you inherited sin from your mom and daddy? Remember that when you're just like, I'm sick of this kid. They got it from you. <laughs> Amen. I'm never going to be like my parents. Yes, you are. You were born into a sinful world. I mean, right from the beginning, the deck is stacked against you. You come forth from the womb speaking lies. You scream and cry in your crib, and you act like you've learned to like, when last time this happened and my belly was really messing with me because I was all colicky, mama came running. So you know what those babies learn? They train you, mama. That's what they, they train you. See, you need to trust daddy sometimes. He says, go back to sleep, let her scream. You know what I mean? They what? She's screaming, I got to go check. A good, every good mother does. I'm playing around, okay? Every good mother runs in there and checks. You pick up the baby and she's fine. You know what she was doing? She was screaming like she was dying a minute ago. She's lying. 
The Bible says it come forth from the womb speaking lies. Little sinners right in their nature, boy. You know, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, listen, think about this. Jesus Christ never one time cried as a child if he didn't have something he genuinely needed. He never laid there and screamed just because he wanted to get picked up. He got a trip. I mean, from the very beginning, he was absolutely, it blows my mind. From the beginning he was perfect and he never sinned. But there ain't another one of you on the planet that has that kind of credentials. I'll guarantee you that. You got the world against you. You know, in verse number 10, this was Luther's favorite psalm. He said, in, in verse, all nations come to me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. <laughs> As the Roman Catholic Church is trying to wipe him out, this was his favorite psalm, he said. Psalm 118.10. Why? The world's against the truth. Didn't I already say to you, you ought to be a people of truth? You know what that means? That means the second you say, I want truth more than anything else in the world, you are going to experience resistance. Keep your finger here in the book of Psalms and go over with me, if you would, please, to Hebrews. Let's grab chapter number 11, Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you what's gone before you. Hebrews chapter 11. Great chapter called the Hall of Faith. We come down through the chapter and you see all kinds of positive things. And I'll give you a few of them here at verse number 32. We don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but pick it up if you would in verse 32. He said, And what shall I more say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Quench the violence of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Ain't that all good stuff? How cool, huh? <laughs> now watch. Out of weakness, we're made strong. Huh? I like all that other stuff. I don't like that phrase. You know what God says you're to do? He says, they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. You know what I had to learn the hard way? I had to learn the hard way that a part of any kind of training, sports, whatever it is, you know what's a major part of it? At least a third of it is rest. You have to recuperate to get stronger and get in better shape. You have to. That's part of the process. My wife was telling me for a year, you're overtraining, you're overtraining, you're overtraining. And the doctor wind up telling me, you better stop for three months because if not, you very possibly could have a heart attack. Because I wasn't giving myself enough of a break. That's insane. You know what I had to learn the hard way? Rest is part of it. You realize part of your Christian life is rest? That's why it's a trick of the devil to get behind you and push you. You got to be doing. You got to be doing. You got to go, 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 go. You know what we do when we come here on Sunday? You know what Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night is? It's rest for your soul. You know why? Because all week long you've been compassed about. You're leaving out here tonight after the service and you're going back out tomorrow morning back into the world where you got temptations coming at you and failure after failure after... Come on now, don't be all super spiritual on me. You don't walk on water. You ain't living on the mountain underneath the cloud the sky every day of your life as a Christian. You have a few valleys you walk through, a few times you doubt God, a few times you get aggravated, you get bitter, you get frustrated, you get discouraged. The Holy Spirit tells you to be a witness and you don't. You're wired just like your pastor. It's my fault. The preacher said when I, they were sending me off as my last service there at the church I was in, he said, all right, I pray God gives him a church full of people just like him. He did. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> Remember that when you mess up, that you're in good company. We're all compassed about. And we all got pressure on us. And what you do when you come here, this isn't your time to rest in the flesh. Don't come to church and sleep. <laughs> you, need to, you need to schedule that as part, of your, as part of your training regiment. Rest for your flesh is your easy chair at home where you get a nice comfy blanket and some comfy clothes and you curl up in your chair and you relax. You take a break. That's at home. Sunday morning ain't time to be resting your flesh. It's time to get the flesh out the door and get here. You know why? Because this is rest for your soul. Out of weakness, you drag yourself in here on Wednesday night, don't you? 
be honest. You drag yourself in here on Wednesday night. My dad always used to say this, and I've never forgot it. It's really good. He said, I limp in on Wednesday nights, but I leap out. Yeah, you don't want to come, but then we can't get you to leave. We're shutting the lights off and shutting the doors off, and I got my coat out of my Bible, and I'm standing at the door like, yes, it's great. It's a blessing. I'm glad to see you too. I'm really wanting to see the inside of my eyelids right now. You know why? Because you got some rest. You got refreshed. Out of weakness, we're made strong. Wax valiant in fight, verse 34, turn to flight the armies of the aliens. Women receive their dead, raised to life again. That's all right. Others were tortured. Wait a second. <laughs> I thought we're talking about victory and faith. No, we're talking about being compassed about. Others were tortured and not accepting deliverance. They could have got a route out, but they wouldn't deny Jesus Christ to do it. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world, the Lord says, of whom the world that afflicted them, of whom the world, the nations that compassed them about, of whom the world, the system that would not accept their Savior and their commitment to the Savior, the system that would not accept the truth and their commitment to the truth, that world, he said, is not worthy of them. The very world that mocks you for being a Christian. All you can think about is being mocked. All the Lord can think about is what a great Christian you are. That's his mercy. You understand that? That God even looks at me like that? Do you understand, do you understand that? Does any, I mean, does anybody, is it me? Am I the only one getting it? Does that, I mean, I'm not, I know you're not doing anything wrong. I'm just saying. Like, to me, that really resonates in my soul. Like, I, I'm doing these little weak attempts, and I'm always getting pushed back, and I feel like I fail all the time, and yet he says they're not worthy, and I'm feeling like, man, Lord, really? You, you view me that way? That's his mercy viewing me that way. I deserve to be in hell right now. How could God look at a sinner like that and God say, hey, I'm going to reward this individual. I love this individual. I respect this individual. That, to me, is mind-blowing. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens of caves and all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. They died believing God. Their life ended hoping and believing in eternity. They never saw the results in their lifetime. And they stayed faithful to God anyhow. God having provided a better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Now watch the next verse. Wherefore? What's the wherefore, therefore? Well, in context of what he just told us about all these people that went before us that were compassed about, seeing we also are compassed about. Really? We're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race which is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. you see that? You know what he's saying? He's saying, look at what people that went before you went through and how they were compassed about. And when you look at them, remember, you got all these witnesses compassing you about. Folks, it's not just the world compassing you about. It's not just the temptations and the struggles and the trials and this system that's going strong against what you believe and they're gaining momentum and they're gaining strength and they're trying to shut you up and push you back and push you down and you're getting to where some of you, I, I know the feeling, you're getting to where you're like, I'm going to wind up getting in trouble because I believe the Bible. Well, while you're compassed about with all that, remember, you're also compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses who said, I could get out of this right now and don't have to die, but I will not recant the name of Jesus Christ or my faith in him to save my cotton-picking life. <laughs> Kill me now. Man, I don't know about you, but that helps me a little bit when I got to resist some minor temptations as an American. You got to love these modern-day suburbanite white, well-to-do soccer moms on their way to go get their 
lips refilled. <laughs> Posting on Instagram, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Because they're nervous about the pain. No, it doesn't say I can do all things through Christ. Which It says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, ma'am. American. You know what we got? We got a walk in the park, y'all. And our life gets tough, doesn't it? But compared to the, what, what went on before us and what's watching us, I think, we can, I think we can step up to the plate a little bit when the Lord says, hey, why don't you quit looking at some of that stuff? Hey, why don't you knock off that language? Hey, why don't you start passing out a gospel track? Hey, why don't you go ahead and speak up for me a little bit? I think we can do that. Amen. We're compassed about, yeah. But man, we've never outrun God's mercy. You see the passage down there, I think it's verse 11 and 12, he talks about the bees. And we don't have time this morning, I got a late start because of the announcements and all that stuff, but it's in verse uh, 12, he says, they compass me about like bees, they're quenched as the fire of thorns. And then he says in verse 13, thou hast thrust me, thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall. So what just happened there is that he went from talking about the nations, the world system, the individuals, and he transitions into this other very strange, like they come to me about like bees, where you, and then why is there the thou? Well, when you run the references on this, it's over in Isaiah chapter 7, bees come from Assyria. And then in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 12, the king of Assyria is likened to the Antichrist. You know what that thing's telling you right there? He's telling you that you're wrestling against things that are real small, that have wings, and that sting. Now, if you've been here in our Revelation series, or you listen to any of the teachings we've done on, on the devils and all that stuff, you understand that they're real small. They can be like little bugs, the Lord of the Flies, Beelzebub. Those bees are zipping around and compassing you about and stinging you. And then he switches in the next verse to, Thou hast thrust me sore. So those bees have a king over them, the king of Assyria. The bees come from Assyria in Isaiah chapter 7, and the king of Assyria is likened to the Antichrist. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is right there in the passage, you got a very clear practical application to the fact that you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, there is so much going on around you, not just the world. You are compassed about also by the devil and devils and things that want to bother you and aggravate you and get at you. Weird thing about a bee sting, that thing will sting you and take off, right? What, is, what happens once it's gone? You're left with the effects of what it did. Hello? You've been stung a bunch of times? I mean, hit over and over and over again? You know what happens? Your flesh is now activated. It's not the bee anymore. The bee's gone. What's going on is an infection and a swelling and all the rest of that stuff, and your flesh gets activated by the effect of the bee. Oh, that guy thrust me sore. Well, it's really not the fact that he just thrust you once and walks away. It's the fact that now I'm left with a wound, and that wound can get infected, which is a type of bitterness, and I'm over here trying to heal from a wound. You understand what's going on in the world around you. Listen, when Lucifer first came on the scene, all he did to Eve was activate her flesh. He said, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree. And then she responded and she took what he did. He set her up and kind of bumped her in the right direction. And when he bumped her in the right direction, she launched into adding to the Bible and all the rest of that stuff. She went on her own once he activated her. So you're driving down the road singing your hymns and walking with Jesus, had a great time in your devotions, and you go buy a billboard. Or you're sitting there, you know, and you're bored and you're scrolling through Facebook and an advertisement pops up or somebody's thing, and all of a sudden thoughts are coming at you, the fiery darts of the wicked, and now what he's trying to do is get something in your head, get something in your eyeballs to activate your flesh. You can't keep blaming the devil. You can't keep blaming the world. Now my flesh, you see how the three of those things work together? You see what a mess you're in? That's why you fail. Because your flesh is weak. In me, Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. He recognized I'm a mess. That's exactly why you keep messing up. You know, some of you get so hard on yourself, like I keep failing. <laughs> 
You ever stop to think that maybe you were doing really good and the devil set you up? You ever stop to think you were doing good? I mean, I'm not saying you're good inherently. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a humanist. You know that. I, I swing too far the other way for most people. I'm saying sometimes you're doing better. That's encouraging, isn't it? Don't you like getting victory? Don't you like feeling like I'm making God happy? I got a pat on the back from the Holy Ghost. I did something right for once. And then you fail again. Because your enemy come at you. Because the world sets you up. Because the devil's trying to drag you down and beat you down and get you going to activate your flesh. And yeah, you might have failed. You know what I'm thankful for? Did you forget what I'm preaching about this morning? Okay, good. I just want trying to make sure that I'm making the point. I'm thankful for mercy. Because he knows things I don't know. And when my heart condemns me, God's greater than my heart and knows all things. Yes. You know what breaks my heart? My wife will testify to this too. Somebody comes to church for a little while and then they stop coming. And then they show up and they show up like this. Like, hey, how are you? And they're like, I'm really sorry I haven't been here. It's like, no, I, I said, how are you? Well, I was just, uh, no, how are you? I'm actually happy to see you. I'm glad you're back. I didn't ask you where you've been and what you've been into and how horrible you are. I'm saying that because if that's you and you get out, come back. You know what happens? You get to where you're like so self-condemning that it's the devil. Well, God doesn't want me anymore. Hogwash. You don't know the Bible. I'm thankful that God Almighty is a God of great mercy and loving kindness toward us. Hey, thank God for that. Get the point of loving kindness, even if I'm screaming it like I'm drinking blood or something, you know. <laughs> I'm thankful for his loving kindness. <laughs> I'm compassed about. I got a lot against me. I know what it feels like to have a lot against me. I know what it feels like to run and hide and not be allowed to hide. You know what? God's mercy is new every morning and His faithfulness is great. Look at verse 18. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but He hath not given me over into death. The Lord hath chastened me sore. If you're an honest Christian in here this morning, you know what you're going to realize? God's whooped you. You know what I can't stand is Christians that won't admit it. I'm not here to pass that judgment. I don't know if God's whooping you or not. That's between you and God, and not everybody that's going through trials is being whooped by God. Job wasn't being whooped by God. Job was being complimented by God. That was the devil. It rains on the just and on the unjust. Sometimes it's nothing more than circumstances in a sinful world. But when you've been pushing back against God and not right with God and God's been working on you and convicting you and then something goes wrong, be man or woman enough to say, all right, God, I hear you. You know why? Because the Bible says he chastens every one of us. And if he doesn't chase you, the, the scripture text says, I'm not cussing, the t- scripture text says that he bastards and not sons. And I'm not apologizing for it. And it didn't offend one of you, especially if you got a TV or a smartphone. Don't give me that garbage. You watch R-rated movies and you're offended because the preacher uses a King James verse that says bastards and not sons. Amen. Amen. I know one preacher is up there and he, he, he kind of slipped. He, he said a word maybe he might not have should said. He was preaching on people going to hell. And a bunch of people got offended with him. And he said, you know what offends me? It offends me that you're more offended at the word I use than you are offended about the fact that souls are going to hell. That's That's a good point, amen? Every one of you has been whooped by God, and if God never deals with you, it's because you ain't his kid. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for mercy. I have been chastened by the Lord. And when God gets on me, I know I'm his boy. And it doesn't bother me when my daddy gets on me. My daddy gets on me because he loves me. 
See, if your daddy loves himself more than he loves you, he lets you get away with murder because he's too lazy to get up and do something about it. But when your daddy is an invested daddy that cares and loves you and is willing to fight and ruin everybody's day, including yours and his own, to challenge you and not let you be a brat because he cares about you turning out right, you got a good daddy. Now let me tell you something about my heavenly father. I got a good daddy. He's never too lazy to get up off his throne and come give me a swat when I need one. And boy, have I ever got him. Maybe someday when I'm old, I'll tell you more about it. But I'm telling you, I've got him, boy. And I know exactly what it is when it is. And I know exactly why I had it coming. He told me already, and I didn't listen. Can I say this about God and his chastisement? He has never whooped me as much as I deserve. Ever. You know what I found out in the middle of the whooping? Listen, this doesn't take a, a martial artist genius to figure out. See, my father's got a really long reach, and, and that's what you prefer, right? You prefer the reach advantage is what it's called. What happens when guys got a really long reach is if you're a little guy, you want to get inside that reach. You understand what I'm saying? Because if you stay on the outside of his range, you're going to experience his full power. But if you get close, it's really hard for his full power to come down on you when you just dive in real close and get a nice big old bear hug on his knees and say, please forgive me, I'm really sorry. I've experienced this chastening, and I want to say publicly this morning that I love him for it. And what I'm so thankful for is that even when God has got on me, I'm telling you more than once, and I'm not being dramatic, no hyperbole, none of that right now. More than once in my life, he showed me I can kill you anytime I want. And I chose not to this time. And I promise you, no hyperbole. More than once in my life. And man, I am thankful for his mercy. I'm standing in front of you today with the unbelievable privilege of opening a King James Bible and preaching the Bible to you. And like I prayed about, the Lord's starting to ramp up things around here and giving us more to do and more people to get it done. And it's a blessing. I'm excited about the future. I'm so excited. If it wasn't for God's mercy, I wouldn't be here. I'd be in a grave. I mean, 20-something years ago, I'd have been in a grave. I got a merciful God. But look at something else. Look at verse 5. I already mentioned this, so it shouldn't take long here. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Verse 21 I'll praise thee, for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. Yeah, I'm compassed about. Yes, I've been chastened. But you know what I learned uh, 41 years ago? I learned to call on the name of the Lord. I learned it 41 years ago. It's not because my parents weren't teaching me to pray before then. They were. They were kneeling down and teaching me to say our prayers every night. Prayed over every meal. Didn't eat unless we prayed first. If you tried eating before we prayed, it... pray yet, boy. What do you think you're doing? I'll pray. See, we didn't have much growing up. We didn't have much at all. Daddy was blue collar, wore his work boots, drove old junkers. When mama needed the car to do grocery shopping while dad was working, we had to drop him off at work and go back and pick him up from work. I remember when my parents got a, a 900 square foot house in Livonia with no upstairs and no basement. It was a concrete slab. They were bragging all over the place because they had 0.48 acres, almost a half an acre. We got some property. That's how I grew up. We were poor. You know what we were? We were thankful for the food on the table. Dad worked hard for it. Mama stayed home and whooped the snot out of me and whooped the snot out of me and whooped the snot out of me and kept house and whooped the snot out of me. And then when Dad came in, because Mom had been having a bad day, no, really, I suffered the wrath of... It wasn't quite the wrath of God, but I thought it was back then. You understand what I'm saying? Because mama said, oh, this kid's, I mean, like, get to your room, boy. Hear that belt come off. 
he'd do that too, like pop, 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 pop through all the wheel. Like, oh no, I'm gonna die. We prayed before we ate. But none of that did it for me. That was just training. You know what did it for me? When I was almost six years old, I called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and save my soul because I knew I was on my way to hell and I needed mercy. And from that day, he heard me. He heard me. And he saved me. And I'll never forget it. You know what I've learned throughout my life? I can call on that name and he'll answer my prayers. I can, you don't have time because I ran out of time this morning, but I could give you so much examples of God answering prayers. I mean, it's unbelievable the stuff God's done over the years of my life and direct answer, miraculous answer to prayer. And don't get the wrong idea lest God kill me for being a fraud. I ain't no prayer warrior. I want to be. I hope to be. I'm trying to be. You know what I've figured out about life? It's in my distress. You see it in verse 5? It's in my distress. I called on him. That's one of the blessings of problems. You hear me? That's one of the blessings of problems because you'll call on him when you're in trouble. And then he answers. And you're learning something so valuable you'd never learn without the problem because learning to call on that name and get a response from your father. You know what it is to this day? I'm telling you, you know what it is to this day that God hears a sinful man like me and answers my prayers? It's mercy. I have never, that I can recall, approached God and said, God, you owe this to me. God, I've done this and that and the other thing for you. You know what I feel like? I feel like a heel. You know what I feel like? I feel like a rug. I feel like a failure. I was thinking about it, preparing, looking over my notes this morning. I was ready a while ago, but I was looking them over, just getting my mind ready and refreshing everything. And I was thinking about it, and this is the honest truth. I feel like a failure. When I look at what I've done for the Lord compared to what he's done for me, he owes me nothing. It's his mercy. It's his mercy. It's just his mercy. I just feel like, man, I've been given so much. From the time I was a little kid, I was given so much. I was given a daddy that loved me and whooped me. I was given a mama that loved me and whooped me. I was given parents that took me to church. They didn't send me to church. They took me to church faithfully, even though I made their time at church miserable. Miserable, because there was no point in even going, because I was so distracting and so couldn't sit still and taking out and spanking me, bringing me back in, taking out, spanking me, bringing me back, taking me out, spanking me, bringing me back in, and just couldn't figure out how to sit still. Right. And they didn't, they didn't give up. Thank you, Lord. All that God's given me and all that God's done in my life, it's just mind-blowing to me. And I've given him what? I've given him nothing, really. He's just merciful. He don't owe me a thing. And I call on him and he answers me. You know what else he does? Look at verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them. And I'll praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I'll praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. You know what I've asked him for? I've asked him for an open door. I've been asking him this week for an open door. An open door no man can shut. You know, he can set before the church an open door. You know what the best open door is? An open door into righteousness. You know what? I want to live right. I don't want to have regrets. I don't want to be looking over my shoulder. I don't want to be waiting for my seeds to come in. I want to live right. I want a clean conscience. How in the world can you do that? I mean, do you know yourself? Because <laughs> I don't know how to do it. I'm sure enough good at sinning. That's easy. That's natural, boy. I mean, that just comes absolutely natural. But doing right, being a man of character, being the same every day of your life, the exact same, everywhere you go every day of your life, being a man of character. You know what I need? You know what I'm asking for? Open to me the gates of righteousness. You know what's wild to me? That God would help somebody like me and you be righteous and live right. Give you a testimony that's a good testimony. Now think about it for a second. We're almost done. Think about it for a second. If everybody in this room knew everything about you there is to know about you, let's just say everything God knows about you. 
every thought, every sin, all about your past. If everybody in this room knew everything about you there is to know about you, would you be strutting around here with your head up? You're somebody, some great Christian. God knows. And he opens to you the gates of righteousness and gives you a testimony and a reputation of Jesus Christ and you get to forget the past. That's why you don't always need to be bringing your past up around here. It's the past. You know what now I got to enter into? I got to enter into the gates of righteousness through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what I used to be is whatever. Did you hear me? You know what brings your past up all the time? Listen to me. Listen to me. Do you know what always brings your past up? If you put it under the blood, ask God to forgive you of it and move forward, do you know what's bringing that up? That's a demonic spirit. The accuser of the brethren won't let you move on past what you used to do and used to be. That is not God. So get away from the friends that are like, well, I know what you used to be. Well, I remember you back in the day. Hey, shut up. If you remember me back in the day, you're going to know to shut your mouth right now. I'm going to shut. I mean, no, no, no. Back to the text. It's gone. Don't be the devil. Don't be bringing up people's past and throwing it in their face all the time. God forgave them for it. And God's going to deal with you if you don't let them out from under that burden. No idea how much it'll beat somebody up when they know they were wrong and did wrong and hate the wrong and trying to do right now. And all you can do is just jab them about what they used to be. I can't stand that stuff, man. That's just bullying, mean, nasty, and it's spiritually wicked. Forgive them. God's opened the gates of righteousness. Now watch this, and I'm done. Watch it. I was comforted. Look at verse 6. The Lord's on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Well, I read it for you in Hebrews 11. He can kill you. He can kill you. <laughs> That's what he can do. And when you got God, you know what you say? What's the worst that can happen? What are you going to do? Kill me? Yes, I am. Okay, great. Thank you for the promotion. <laughs> do you know where I'm going? <laughs> You got me out of this nasty world. Listen, I hope you love me and I hope you grieve over me. But listen, you just get over it as fast as you can and move on with your life and enjoy whatever life God left you. Because when I go, I don't want to come back. If I can think about you and pray for you from heaven, I will. But outside of that, I'm good. I'm staying there. You understand that mentality? You know what a comfort that is? What's the worst man can do? So what if you're the Lord's? Man, what a comfort. You know what that is? That's mercy. Look at verse 7. Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. You know what God is? He's, he's an assistant. He helps me when I'm doing right. That's mercy. Look at verses 8 and 9. He's trustworthy. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. I'm comforted by the fact that I can trust God. I can't trust life. I can't trust circumstances. I don't know what's coming in the future. I wish I could. If I could control things, I would control so many things that I'm not controlling right now. I feel helpless as a pastor sometimes. I feel helpless as a father sometimes. I feel helpless as a husband sometimes. I don't want anybody that I love to have to suffer. Anybody. And I hate watching people suffer. And there's nothing I can do about it. You don't understand what that does to my brain because I'm a control freak. And I'm overprotective. Well, I get real comforted when I know I can trust Jesus. Because my Savior loves the people I love more than I love them. Amen. You know what a comfort that is to my heart? That's mercy. Because the devil's always like, well, you don't deserve it anyhow. Shut up. Go where you're going, quick. You know, just... Why? Because I got God. And He's merciful. And I'm thankful for His mercy. Verse 14 and 16 is strength. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. Verse 16, the right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I'm comforted by His strength. Verse 17, I'm comforted by His life. I shall not die, but live. And declare the works of the Lord. 
If you want to stay alive, that's the right reason to do it. But don't you know as a saved person, you ain't dying. Your flesh is going into the ground, but death is swallowed up of victory. You'll be more alive after you die than you are now. You're not dying. You're going home to glory. Death is getting swallowed up of life. So the worst thing that can happen to me is a comfort. Isn't that wild? I know the Bible's not relevant, is it? Look at verse 21. I'm comforted by God's listening skills. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. He's a good listener. You ever try to talk to somebody that's not listening to you? You ever try to talk to somebody you really want to talk to and you really want them to hear the situation because you really want their input because it would really help you a lot if they could help you because you know they can help you and they're not a good listener? And you're like, oh, I'm frustrated because if they could hear more of the details and they're like, I don't need all the details, just the facts, ma'am, the facts. Okay, we got this covered. God will sit there, listen to me now. God will sit on his throne and he'll listen to you and he'll listen to every word you're saying and he'll listen to you as long as you want to talk. He'll listen. Why don't we pray more? Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. In his mercy, he listens to you. I'm thankful for God. Here's my conclusion and we're done. All this, you know where it's all found? In verses 22 and 23, the stone with the, which the builders refused is becoming the head of the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. You know who the head of the cornerstone is, right? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what blows my mind about this whole thing? He's offering mercy to every human being on the planet. And most people refuse him. Because they say, I don't need mercy. And they're going to wind up burning in a devil's hell for eternity. Because they need mercy so bad. But they won't admit it. That's the power of your pride. I will not say I'm wrong. Okay, train wreck then, you genius. You know what, folks? This whole message doesn't apply to lost people. This whole thing's talking to somebody serving God. And you know, I hate to see Christians that feel like they've made it to a point they don't need mercy anymore. You know what you need? You know what I need? You need mercy. And you've got to recognize that you need mercy. And then you've got to accept the fact that God will have mercy on you. No matter what. If you'll tell him he's right. And ask him for the mercy. Message is really simple this morning. Invitation's real simple. I want to just ask you when the last time is you recognize that you need mercy and God's been pouring it out you and you told him thanks. I want to just I want this church today, I'm asking God for this, this church today just to just to flood the courtroom of heaven with thankfulness and praise and a sacrifice, a thanksgiving to say, God, I appreciate how merciful you've been to me and I never want to take your mercy for advantage. Thank you. But I know how preaching works. And I realize maybe the Lord's dealt with your heart about something that wasn't even the point of the message this morning. If you want to come forward and deal with that, you're welcome to. This morning, I'm wondering if we this morning couldn't just tell God, thank you for your mercy. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the pianist comes.